uh, Tom and Linda Davis and to see Sharon. Um, so he's it was a needed trip for for Daryl and you know gets him away and gets him a chance to visit with people that are having a little hard time coming out. And Tom is in uh, poor health, so he wanted to go up there and spend some time with them. Now, I've been in the church for over 50 years. <laughs> and uh, all through my church time, of from time to time in, in, in meditation, in prayer, in, in all, I've always asked the question, why am I here? What's the purpose? What do I have to do? What things do I have to change? And uh, sometimes it's a struggle. You see, you hear sermons, and you know, and you think, well, I got to. These are good things for me to change. And sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. Though, <laughs> I've often thought buying an earplug and putting in one ear, so when it goes in, I just kind of bounce around, and I have something to think on in the in the time that I'm not at services. But church for me, when I came in. I gave up everything. Um, I had a good job. Um, looked like a, a job that would last me for 20 years and I would be able to retire. But uh, I don't think that was in God's plan. fact is, when I look back in my life, um, I think it was in God's plan to keep me alive uh, when I fell out of a car as a baby and got run over by another one when I was in quicksand up to my neck, when I was, you know, hit by a car on a bicycle, you know. Throughout my life, I've had a lot of of different instances that have made me look back and say, why am I here? Well, what's, what's my purpose? And uh, just what does God expect from me? You know, sometimes I don't want to do what I think God expects from me, and I'm sure all of us in that area the same way. But I think as I was working on this sermon and praying about it and stuff, I thought about one thing that God wants, and a big thing, is righteousness. You know, I've done a couple of sermons on righteousness, done, you know, the, and Daryl's done a lot on righteousness, and a lot of what the Bible and what we've been taught is on righteousness. But I want to start this more this afternoon with Romans chapter ten. Starting Romans chapter ten and verse one and read one through five. Romans chapter ten, verse one. And and I think of this myself, it's in my heart, where Paul was saying, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they might be saved. Now, I'll tell you, I've worked with Daryl for now 14, 15 years, no, 16 years. Uh, we've had our ups and downs. Mostly me have my ups and downs. You know, God is, Daryl is God's servant. God is, he's the one that God put here in the job. And I know that throughout the years of talking to him and working with him and going camping, we playing cards and stuff, that I think Daryl probably could 
say the same thing Paul was saying here, that his heart's desire is that Israel would be saved. But his heart also is in desire, and so is mine. My heart is a great desire that the people living here on Anatoth and the people in the church of God, wherever they might be, my heart's desire and Daryl's heart's desire is that they would see and grow and do the things that God wants them to be doing. It's hard sometimes. I have uh, eight children, eight in-laws, actually nine or ten because eleven or twelve, something like that, because they've been married more than once. So I've had a big family. I, I have over 24 grandchildren and 14, 15 great-grandkids. And so I can honestly say that my heart's desire is that my children would come around and would be saved. Maybe they won't go to a place of safety. Maybe they won't be there when we go to build a temple. But my desire is that they will be going into the world tomorrow as some of the first live that have already known God and will be able to be leaders in the world tomorrow. So I can say, like Paul, my heart's desire, and it goes out all the time for the people in my family, for the people in the church that I've known over 50 years, and for the people here on Anatoth. And I know Daryl's heart is in that, is his heart's desire is that we all come to understand God's way of life. Verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal for, of God, but not according to knowledge. So what's the problem? We're here, our desire is to see all of us be at one, like they were there in Acts 2. One place, one mind, one heart, serving God. But something's happened. They have a zeal for God. The people living out here that have been with us and now are no longer here have a zeal for God. But I fear it's not according to knowledge because God has virtually given us tremendous amount of knowledge. We've learned about the calendar. Of course, I was studying the calendar back in 1995, long before I met Daryl Henson. I remember the name Daryl Henson in the 60s and 60. I guess he was ordained, I think, 64, 5, 6, somewhere in there. Charles Dorothy was the minister in Houston. And he mentioned the fact that these people that were graduating and I can remember the name Daryl Henson being graduated and sent out to serve in the church. But until till 2000, uh, June, I think, uh, I didn't know who Daryl Henson was. But God has given me the blessing to be able to work with the man. And he has taught me through the minor prophets. And it's not... Daryl. It's not Herbert Armstrong because back in 1962 uh, I didn't know Herbert Armstrong but what attracted me was the knowledge of the truth. It was a message 
blow the Bible, blow the dust off your Bible, and I don't need your money. God wants you. So I say, well, what does He want from me? He wants me to learn and grow in knowledge and understanding, just like He wants you to grow and learn and understanding. But sometimes we have a zeal for God. I mean, we really want to get out there and do things, but it's not always according to knowledge. It's according to self-righteousness in many cases. Verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, there's the problem. We, we think we understand God's righteousness. But what we understand more of is our self-righteousness. So many times people have come to me and said, You know, you've got to prove everything you hear. Well, no. All I have to prove is God's Word. That's what this saying Paul is telling us. Prove all things. Everything that God said in the Bible is what He wants you to prove. It doesn't have to be that someone has his own pet ideas. But you prove what God says. And so when I first came in the church, that's what I looked at. Did it fit Scripture? And since I've been here being taught by Daryl, by God through Daryl, actually. It's, it's God doing the teaching. We sometimes think that we are the, as teachers, are responsible to teach everybody, but it's God that does the teaching. And just like so many times I've heard lately, well, this man or that church or that group was teaching the two witnesses, not happening. It is God that does the teaching. Go back and look at who taught Moses? Who taught Abraham? Who taught Paul? Who taught Herbert Armstrong? It wasn't a man. It was God. So, here we, we think we have our righteousness and we want to, conf- to, to teach or tell people that this is the right way. But does it fit Scripture? So someone comes to me and says, Herbert Armstrong was the Elijah of the last time. And I said, can't be. Because it doesn't fit Scripture. And that's the bottom line, is Scripture. So we have this uh, righteousness, but it's not godly righteousness. Because godly righteousness is different. Self-righteousness tells us that I'm right and you're wrong. But that's not true. It is only God that is right. So being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about establishing their own righteousness have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. So when we put ourselves in that position of wanting to teach or pointing people in the direction we think they ought to go, um, God is saying that's not right. That is not the way it should be. For Christ, verse 4, is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believes. So we have to look to Christ. We're told time and again here on this, in this little group, 
And for me, for over 50 years, I've been told, you got to look to Christ. you got to follow Christ's directions. Maybe we all didn't do that. You know, Mr. Armstrong said we were off track, get the church on track, and we're still not putting it back on track. We're still trying to do His job. And His job ended. It's a new job. A job of getting ourself aligned with Christ. I did several sermons on um, the mirror of life where I pointed out, or tried to point out, hopefully I did, that life really is following Christ. It's, do you see Christ in your life? So Christ, Emmanuel, is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believes. Do we believe Him? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves every day. Do I believe God? Do I trust God to take care of everything? For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. So if we want to believe that the law is what we have to follow to the greatest extent, and that is, that's all we have to do, then we better live by that. But Christ made it more expounded than that. It's more than just living those things. It's believing those things. It becomes your way of life. So I can say in my heart that my heart's desire to see all of us become part of the bride of Christ. My heart's desire is to see the church turn and come and follow Christ and follow what God is teaching us. My heart's desire is that those here on Anatoth that have looked out and found a problem with a man would stop and see and ask yourself, do I follow Christ? Am I using self-righteousness or godly righteousness? You know, Christ, like Paul, and in Paul was saying up here in verse 1, he said his heart's desire that he, would, he wants them to be a part of the family. Christ says the same thing. If you look in Luke chapter 13, just one scripture there in Luke 13, where Christ was pointing out that His desire was that we all come and believe and follow God with our whole heart. Luke 13, verse 34, where Christ was speaking and He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killed the prophets. So He knew that. He knew the hearts of men, how they killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent unto Him. He said, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. He wanted it. And I've seen Daryl want the people here to love God, to trust God, put their faith in it. But sometimes we don't want to hear it. We don't put that in our heart. It's got to be more than just say it or just keep the Sabbath 
or live here on this property or live part of the church someplace. It's got to be in your heart and your mind. Go back to Romans chapter 9 this time in verse 1. Romans chapter 9 verse 1. Here Paul speaking again says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. As he looked out at the people, his Jewish people at that time, it hurt him to see what they were doing and the way they were living. When I look around here and see what's happening in this little community, I hurt. I've cried many times over the fact that that people are forgetting where they came from. It seems that we we lost perspective or we've lost the vision. The vision that teaches us to go and trust God. So he said, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I mean, he cried over these people. For I wish, I would wish that my self were cursed from Christ for my brethren's, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. When I said I have a big family, I would that my children could be here today, could be a part of this little group, but they're not. And I can't give my life for them because I've got too many faults myself. But Paul was saying that himself. He would rather himself lose eternal life and let them be saved. And that's a big statement to make. To say, I'll give up eternity if they will just turn and come to God and say, please help these people. Help them see the mistakes that they're making. I can't judge them on their mistakes. That's God's job. He called them. He opened their mind. I got to thinking about that this morning and thinking of the parable of the sower. You know, he sowed seed and fell beside the roadside. Sowed some more seed and it fell on stony ground. Some fell on in the weeds and others fell on good ground. And in my life in the church, I've seen that happen. And I'm sure most of you that have been around for any period of time have witnessed where you see people be called. I know down in in Fort Myers and was given some letters to to visit some people that were just being called. But like that seed that fell aside the road, the birds came and ate it up real quick. I know George buys what twenty pounds or so of bird seed a day and throws it out there and it's in a day it's just eaten right up. It doesn't have a chance to grow. It doesn't have a chance because the birds are there to consume it. I sowed seed out here in my grass 
never grew because all the birds were hungry. Then I've witnessed in my life people who were called. They seem to come to church. They seem like they're starting to grow and they're, they're trying to do some changes. But a trial comes along. It doesn't have to be a big trial. might be if you don't work for me on a Saturday, you won't work. Or if you want to take off for the Feast of Tabernacles, don't come back. Any little thing, and these people gave up. They left. Is that what God wanted? He called a lot of people. Everyone had the same, that was called, had the same opportunity. But some got eaten before they got started. Some started to grow that were like on a rock and first trial and they disappeared. Others grew. They produced. They showed and they grew and great. But they were in the weeds. And look at us today. The church is in this country. And I know each society over the thousands of years we've been alive have had their own trials and their own calling. But today, you know, we have more things to draw us away from God. The, the weeds, the tares are greater. Society around us, you know, they show you on TV, if you don't have this new car, you're not as good as the next guy. Whether it be a magazine or TV or just everything you do. We have so many things in this day and time that can draw us away from God. But that's not what God wants. So I'm sitting there saying, well, what does God want? I mean, He put me in this society. I'm here with everything that can come at me. And the big thing is money, isn't it? Money, and like I think it's uh, Peter said, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So these things hit us. They are out there. We live in a society today that all three of those things are hitting us all the time real hard. Pride, greatness, money, power, all these things are there to pull us apart from God. So where do we, why do we have this? So Paul, when he said that, and Christ said it Himself. Christ was the one who was willing to sacrifice His life for us. So not only did Paul say that, but if you look at Exodus 32-32, uh, you don't have to turn there, just write it down. It says, here Moses speaking, he said, yet now if... Because, you see, when Moses was up on that mountain and God gave him the commandments and stone, and he brought them down, and God said, get down, God sees what happens, doesn't he? Moses was 40 days and 40 nights getting these commandments. Moses could probably hear the noise, but God could see what was happening. And he told Moses, get down, because the people are gone contrary. They've gone off the, 
off the, like the train, like Mr. Armstrong said, we're a train that's off track. They were really off track. And God told Moses, go down and take care of these people because I am going to wipe them out. That was, Moses believed God. God said, I will wipe them out and start a whole new thing with you. Moses didn't doubt that. He literally believed it. And it was in his mind. And so in 32.32, it says, Yet now, if you will forgive their sins, or and if not, either forgive them or not, either way, I pray you out of the... Take me, he says, out of the book which you have written, the book of life. So here's another man, like Paul, who said, I'll give everything. I will give my life for these people. You know, that's what God wants from each one of us, too. Are we willing to give our life for the rest of the church? It's a hard thing to say. You know, Abraham was forced to do that, to give up your son. This is not your son. This is you as an individual. This is your life. Are you willing to give up your life for someone else? And here Moses came down. They had, you know, Aaron had thrown some gold in the in the fire and out jumped a, a golden calf. Now, Moses wasn't born yesterday. Moses knew you didn't throw stuff in the fire and out comes gold. I mean, I've seen that right now. It's a, it's a big process to get gold out of ore. You don't just dump it out. It, it takes some work. But Moses saw that and he said, please... It was his begging God to forgive them and not wipe them out. Because he believed God was going to do that. He didn't fear that. He knew. So, where do we stand? That's one of the things that God is expecting from me. And I'm thinking, well, there's this person. He's been this way to me. Do I really really want to die eternally so that he can live. And being a human, you know, I can say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not into that. And I don't think either one of any of us are. But that's what God's asking us. He wants to see how far we'll go. 1 Corinthians 9. 22 through 21, uh, 20 through 22. 1 Corinthians 9. And unto the Jews, I, and this is what Paul said. This is how he was willing to change his life. Paul was willing to change, to, to make it possible that these people could be a part of God's way of life. He said, Unto the Jews, I became a Jew. that I might gain the Jews. Are we willing to change things in our life that someone else can be a part of God's way of life? 
to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. So he said, I'll get out there and I'll be the hardest working, law-abiding person that there can be if it will just bring these people to God. To them that are without law, as without the law. So, not, he says, as without the law. Not that he was without the law. He always lived it. But he being a, a person that could bring them around. He says, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. So he was still going to be keeping the law. But he wasn't going to be out there beating people over the head about the law. He would try to be as friendly and God-fearing to lead them in that path. That I might gain them there without the law. So he had to be able to communicate with the world. One of the things that Paul told Timothy was that you have to be right with God and liked by God, but also right with the people around you that you live with every day. Too often we can go out there and we can say, we can push ourselves and our religion down somebody else's throat. It's not going to happen. God has to call them. But you can be a God-fearing person and by setting the right example of living that way and not being obnoxious or pushy and still get the point across. When I worked in, in construction, when I first started working in construction, construction workers have a very limited vocabulary. They're like fishermen. Their vocabulary is very limited. But after a couple of weeks, they curtailed their language because they could see that um, my thoughts and actions were totally different than theirs. And they knew that um, they had to change their way of life. So in the hopes of them being without God's law, and I was with God's law, they changed. They could know that there was a difference. To the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save somebody that I might by some way in some of my thoughts and some of my actions somehow somebody would say that's a God-fearing person. I would like to be like that person. I would like to have all that they have. So God wants me to be righteous. And so what I've brought here is just a few things of being righteous. What is righteousness? Have you ever thought about that? You know, I've asked myself that question. I want to be righteous. Uh, what do I do? Well, from um, the Bible program that I have, the um, I, I took this off of one of the uh, commentaries they have. It says righteousness is holy, upright living. Holy, upright living in accordance with God's standards. So, there's the key. Righteousness is God's standard. 
I admonish you to go back and listen to the series that we have on God's standard. I mean, it's a good series. Sometimes we forget about those things, but it tells us and gives us a clue and even points us in the right direction to work toward being and living by the standard that God sets. The word righteousness comes from a root word that means straight, uh, straightness, going the right direction. It refers to a state of conforms to an uh, authoritative standard, God's standard. Righteousness is a moral concept. God's character is defined and source of all righteousness. God's definition tells us what righteousness is. How do we find that? You know, when we hear sermons, one key factor that we it's easy to forget is and and my wife didn't. She always she was so uh, meticulous and on this that she did during the week and go back over those sermons, look at the scriptures, write them down. No wonder she remembered so much. When we took the Bible correspondence course, she wrote it all out. All the program, all the Bible stories, everything. And it's just teaching us God's standard. And the definition then of righteousness has to come from God. In the Old Testament, the term of righteousness is used to define man's relationship with God. Uh, Look at Abraham, um, David, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's standards that's in the Scriptures. They teach us how to have the relationship that we have to have with God. God expects us to be righteous. So, we need to go back and read uh, Psalm 50. I think it's 50 or 51 where David shows the mistakes that he made. Here was a man who was a real sinner. What will we do today? I think of I thought about this about an Anatoth. If David was the one in charge, would we all have split? I mean, he was really a a, a real character. He liked to fight. He murdered one of his top thirty men that was there as protection for him. He took his wife, so he stole it. He committed adultery. And yet God said, David was a man after his own heart. What would we have done if we lived there in David's time? Would we have walked away? We did it. We're doing that today. Because we think that God's servant did something that didn't conform to my righteousness. And so we walk away. God is not happy. God is not happy with what's going on in the churches of God or the the congregations of God all through this country and around the world. 
And he's not happy with the people here. Because we are setting our standard and our righteousness and not God's. And the context of the relationship, righteousness, righteous action is actions that promote the peace and well-being of humans, human beings in the relationship one to another. Now, that's a mouthful there. That's something that's hard to live by. It promotes peace. Righteousness, godly righteousness promotes peace. and well-being in right relationship one with another. Do we have that? Do we see that today? Sometimes it's difficult. So God, when I was working on this sermon and asking God for help and strength and and what to speak on, and you know, there's so much the Bible is with so much. I come up with, what does God require of me? He requires righteousness, doesn't He? He requires me to have the right relationship with Him, with Christ, and with His children, and with all mankind. He requires me to be willing to die for everybody else. So I can ask the question, Am I willing to die for for Daryl? You know, David was another man that not only was he so violent in plenty of faces, but a man after God's own heart showed us he had two opportunities. He was anointed king. He knew it. His beloved friend, Jonathan, King Saul's son, they were closest friends you can get to be. Knew that he was to be king and said, you're going to be king. You know, I should be there, but you're going to be king. We knew it. So two times, David's, God said to David, I want to see what you can do. I want to see what kind of a person you are. And put him in a position that he could take Saul's life. And he didn't do it, did he? He made the statement that you do not take and hurt God's anointed in any way. And he felt guilty the first time when he cut a part of King Saul's uh, garment off. He felt guilty of doing that. So what does God require of you and me? Does He require us to find fault with somebody else? Does He require us to uh, look at another man and judge him? Or does He require us to look at our own self? Deuteronomy 10. What does God require of you? And what does God require of me? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you? He asked the question. Moses was asking the people, just like God asks you and me, what does He require of us? And He answers, 
but to fear the Lord your God, to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve Him, to serve the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. All of your heart and all of your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you this day. So Moses was telling the people, this is what you have to do if you're going to be righteous. This is something you must do. Again, I want to bring up that we have a whole series of sermons on fear of God. Fear. It's on the internet. And if you need a copy, we can make you a copy. So the first thing I put down coming off of this one verse is fear. Fear is the moral morality and reverence. Morality and reverence. There's dreadful and exceedingly fearful fearfulness. So we need to be respecting God Fear of who He is. Fear of what He can do. Grasping and understanding what He's done and what He's offered to us. Again, reading from the Bible program. I feel a feeling of reverence, awe, and respect or an unpleasant emotion caused by a sense of danger. That's fear. So, reverence, awe, respect, and fear of danger. We all come into that position every once in a while. Fear may be described toward God or man, and it may be either healthy or or harmful. Healthy fear is reverence and respect. Biblical teaching that children are to respect their parents. The fifth commandment. Children, honor your parents. And it's said that that is the first commandment with, which offers something more than just commandment. It offers a long life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. Wives are to respect their husbands. That you can read throughout um, Ephesians 5, of how 5.30 and on, of husbands or wives loving their husbands. And slaves are to respect their masters. That could be in Ephesians 5.6.5. Uh, 5. So we're just supposed to... Our reverence, we learn by the things around us so that we can then relate it up to God. Scriptures also declare that the fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge. That's in Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of God, the proper respect, fear for what He can do, but the awe and the uh, position that God has. Proverbs 1, 7. As well, it is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16. So, 
fear is an important aspect to being righteous. The right type of fear. We fear each other. We fear men. We fear what they can do to us. But they can only take this physical life. We don't fear God enough to understand that He's offered us eternal life. And sometimes we let that slip. Uh, Psalms 128, verse 1, it says, Blessed is everyone that fears the eternal, that walks in his ways. We will be blessed if we totally respect and fear God. Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah 32, 39. Jeremiah 32, 39. Jeremiah was inspired to write, and I will give them one heart. Because God says to Jeremiah, tell the people this is what I'm going to do. I will give them one heart. I'd like to see us all have the same heart, the same mind, like in Acts 2. One way, as they did there, and God poured out His Spirit upon them, that they may fear Me forever for the good of them and their children after them. So there's a there's it goes on beyond just us to love God and have the same heart and same mind, but it, it brings blessings. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. That's why we need fear, isn't it? We do not want to depart from God. When we do that, somewhere down the line, we lost that that aspect of our life. We departing from God. When you walk away, and I've seen that in my lifetime in the church too many times, People walk away and they departed from God because they didn't really respect and fear God. 1 Peter 1.17 I don't want to depart from God. I don't want you to depart from God. There's too much at stake. A chance to be the bride of Christ. If you depart from God, we know that it says that somebody can take your crown and once you lost it, you won't get it back. 1 Peter 1.17 And if you call on the, on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work and passes pass your time of your sojourning here in fear. So here again, Peter was telling us we have to respect God. We've got to respect His judgments. We've got to respect who He puts in charge. We've got to respect everything that He's given to us. Ecclesiastes 12.13 You can write it down. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Most of us have probably remembered that. The conclusion of everything. The bottom line, he's saying. This is the bottom line. Fear God 
keep his commandments for this is the whole duty or responsibility or job that God's given to us. Ecclesiastes 12:13. Solomon concluded everything and pointed us in that direction. The second thing that I put down for developing righteousness, righteous character, is to walk in all God's ways. To walk with God. Many people are uh, listed in the Scriptures of walking with God. Noah, uh, Daniel, Paul, they all walked with God. Are we walking with God? A question again. I want to be righteous. In order for me to have righteousness, I have to walk with God. For you to have righteousness, you have to walk with God. Deuteronomy 5.33 You shall walk in all the ways of the eternal. This is what Moses was telling the people. Just at the end, just prior to his dying, he was telling the people, you have to walk in all the ways of the eternal your God. Your God has commanded you that you may live, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord you possess. So here Moses one of his last statements that he could make before he died was commanding the people to walk after Christ if you want to live a long time. Joshua, who carried on after Moses, said in Joshua 22, verse 5, but take diligence, a diligent heed to do the commandments and the, and the law. So here... Joshua's coming to the close of his life. And he's admonishing the people, which Moses, the servant of God, charged you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, to cleave unto Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all of your soul. It's a, it is a way of life we are to walk like Christ, to live like Christ. The Old Testament was always throughout teaching them these things. Psalm 81, verse 13. Oh, that my people, God said. He said, Oh, that my people would hearken unto me. He cried just like uh, Christ did when He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would gather you together. Here in Psalm, Christ is saying through David, Oh, that my people would hearken unto me, and Israel would walk in my ways. He's saying that to us today. Oh, that the church would just listen. That the church would just hear. The church would just obey. In the first, in the New Testament, in Titus two verse eleven, Titus two verse eleven, 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present day. So, Paul seen the problems that was in the world in his day. There was worldliness, uh, all kinds of lusts, ungodly actions. And this was written to us today. It happened in his day. He could see that in his day. It's more so in our day. We are taught to deny ungodliness. How often... As Daryl brought out in sermon after sermon after sermon, week after week, year after year, we're told, put away ungodliness. Put away worldly lusts. Put away uh, the things that are around us that will pull us aside. Those things that I brought out earlier that are the tares that the seed that was grown in those tares, it will choke you out. If we don't put that out of our, our life, we stand at the point of losing eternal life. So he said, we should live soberly. So we've got to put our mind to it. Righteously, godly, finding out what God wants in this present and evil world. Again in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. And here Peter is saying, But as he which has called you is holy. So here Peter, admonishing the people then, and writing it to us today, he's saying, As he that is holy, that's the Father, and that's Christ, so be you holy in all manner of conversation, in the way and in, in your actions, in the way you deal in your life. Because it is written, Christ says, Be you holy, because I am holy. I want you to be like me. I want you to live like me. I want you to act like me. I want you to be like me. So part of being righteous is being holy. The third point, I'm not going to get to all the points, but the third point is we need to love God. We need to love Christ. And that's a big commitment to love them. In Deuteronomy 6, verses uh, 4 through 9, and this is one that is the whole thing about God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Moses writing to all of us, Hear, Israel. Hear, Church of God. Hear, you people on Antoth. Hear, you people in whatever organization you're in. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Not multiple lords. Not me or you or somebody else. There is only one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. This is what 
you have to do to be righteous. God has to be first and foremost in your life. The first commandment, to love God above everything else. And this is what it says. This is the first commandment. To love the Lord your God, for God is only one God. And to love Him with your heart, mind, soul, being, every aspect of your life. And these words which I commanded you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. So it was a command that we should carry it on. And that, and shall walk in them. And when you I talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. All the time. So he doesn't give any chance to say, well, there's a part of my life I don't have to think of God. And he says, you have to think of God and He's got to be first and foremost in your life wherever you are, whatever time it is. And you shall bind them upon your neck, upon your rather your uh, on your hand, and you shall be a forelet between your eyes and you shall write them upon the posts of your house and on the gates. So that has to be the way we live our life. Whether we walk or talk, whether we sleep or play, God has to be the part of our life. Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> One of the scribes asked Christ, which is the first we find here's where the scribe came to Christ and said, well, What's the, what's the greatest commandment? What's the first of all the commandments? So what is the most important? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Verse 29 of chapter 12. And Emmanuel answered in him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love Him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, see, He didn't let it go. He said the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is none other commandment greater than these two. How can we find fault with each other and say and read Deuteronomy 6 or read Mark 12-29 how can we say we have a love for God but we have a problem with somebody else because we if we have a problem with another person we're having a problem with God You know, in Matthew 25, Christ emphasized that point. In Matthew 25, He talked about being in jail or being sick or being hungry or being destitute. 
And the disciples said, well, or the, in the parable, they came to him and said, well, when did we find you that way? When did we see you? You know, Lord. You know. You got it. We're there. We're going to take care of you. And Christ answered and said to them in verse 40, And a king shall answer and say to them, This is Christ speaking to us. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Truly, I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. He's emphasizing the fact that God, we have to love Him with our whole heart, mind, and spirit. And we have to love our neighbor, other people, as much as we love God. Or else, we're not being honest and right. It is a sin, I think, my personal thoughts. It's a sin to say, I love God and hate another man. I can't see myself hating somebody else. One more scripture. John 3.16 This is why I say it's a sin. This is why I look at it as I can't hate another person. Because I'd be hating Christ. Because God in John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world He has humanity. He loves humanity so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God sacrificed Christ for you and me. He sacrificed His life for those people living here on Anatoth. For those people living in around us here in Cane Beds, in Colorado City, even though we don't agree with what they, li- they live by, those in St. George, those in the state of Utah and Arizona, for the president of this country. And all that is out here, God gave His Son. He was willing to sacrifice Christ for everybody. Again, it comes down to the point. I'm asking myself, and you have to ask yourself, am I willing to die for someone else. Who is it out on this planet that I wouldn't die for? Paul said he would give his life, eternal life, for his family. I tell you, my heart's desire is for the people here. For you, for the rest in Anatoth, and my family. We have to believe what God says. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn it. We cannot condemn other people. But that the world, through our changing and our commitment and our walking after Christ and our striving to be righteous, that's what we have to do. Maybe next time I can go to the fourth part.